Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 24th. You understand. Implantation plus 15 days. The snow had not come with a big gale force storm, but it most certainly had come. An inch here, another two overnight there, usually light, but fairly steady over the past weeks. Only now did Colding really notice the accumulation of a half foot of snow that covered everything. And still the flakes came. He stood at the water's edge, watching Klaus Rumkorf try to skip stones. Above and behind them stretched the mansion's sprawling back porch. In front of them, water, whitecaps, and horsehead rock. Rumkorf picked up a flat stone from the water's edge. It slipped out of his mitten-covered hand twice, before he held it firmly enough to throw. The rock skipped once before plunging into a three-foot wave. Need flatter water for that, Tolding said. Now you're a physicist? Come on, Doc, talk to me. We need to help Jean. Rumkorf shrugged. Pressure and stress exacerbate her symptoms, and we're under the gun, as they say. There's only so much we can do for her. That's a cop-out answer, and you know it. Rumkorf kept staring out at the water, seeming to focus on horsehead rock some 200 yards from shore. She was fine for months, Colding said. Now she's struggling, hallucinating. We have to stop it before she tries to kill herself again. I increased her dosage. Rumkorf tried to pick up another rock, but it kept falling out of his oversized black-knit mittens. He gave up after the third try, stood straight, and stared out at the choppy water. Something was wrong here. Rumkorf was the visionary, the planner, but nothing in this project happened without John's genius. And yet, Doc didn't seem remotely concerned that her biochemistry had changed, that he might have to scramble to find a new medicine that worked. I'll bring in someone else if I have to, Colding said, another physician who can help her. Rumkorf suddenly shifted into a visible state of anxiety just a few degrees below panic. If you bring another doctor out here or take her to the mainland, the Americans might find us and shut us down. Colding held up both gloved hands, palms up. If you can't help her, what do you want me to do? Do your job, Rumkorf shouted. Keep us safe. Keep us secret until I finish my work. John's job is to help me create the Ancestor, something that she's doing exceedingly well right now, so maybe we just need to take the good with the bad. The prick didn't give a rat's ass about Jean. All he cared about was the experiment. You're a medical doctor, Colding said. You're supposed to help people. 
That is exactly what I'm doing. Helping millions of them. Haven't you noticed, PJ, that when she gets like this, she is at her most brilliant. It's for the greater good. You, of all people, should understand that. Colding stared down at the little man, the cold forgotten for the moment. Realization set in. Roomkorf wasn't concerned about finding a new medicine because he knew the current medicine would work just fine if she got the proper dose. You motherfucker, Colding said. You shorted her meds. Roomkorf shrugged and again looked out at Horsehead Rock. Suddenly, it was hard to think. Colding wanted to kick Roomkorf right in the teeth. How long has this been going on? Five weeks. Had to be done, and it worked. You understand. Colding snapped out his left hand and grabbed the back of Roomkorf's neck, squeezed it tight as he pulled the smaller man close. Don't you touch! Roomkorf couldn't finish his sentence because Colding's right hand locked on Roomkorf's throat, pressing down on the Adam's apple. Roomkorf's gloved fingers tried to pry the hands away, but couldn't find purchase. Another memory flashed in Colding's mind, this time of Magnus, back on Baffin Island, squeezing just a little bit harder to get Andy to stop struggling. Colding's hands tightened. He also gave one short shake, bobbling Roomkorf's head. Eyes wide with terror, looking up through glasses knocked askew, Roomkorf stopped moving. Fix it, Colding said, or I'll fix you. He pushed Roomkorf away a little too hard. The man stumbled and fell, skidding across the snow-covered sand. Hand on the ground behind him, he looked up at Colding. Colding suddenly saw the scene through Roomkorf's eyes. A bigger man, a stronger man, towering over him, ready to hurt. Sanity snapped back into place, and with it, deep embarrassment. Klaus, I... Stay away, Roomkorf said. I'll correct the medication. Just stay away from me. He scrambled to his feet and ran for the steps to the mansion, giving Colding a wide berth as he passed. Colding didn't know what bothered him more, that he'd flipped out and put his hands on Roomkorf, or that for a brief instant he'd used Magnus Paglione as a template for proper behavior. Fuck, he said. He waited a few seconds to give Roomkorf plenty of room, then walked toward the steps that would take him up to the mansion. He'd check in on Jean, then go find Sarah. November 25th. Stupid cow. Implantation plus 16 days. At three in the morning, Jean found herself alone in the C5's upper deck lab, She blinked and looked at the work log she'd called up on her computer. It couldn't be. But there it was. The keystroke log didn't lie. She'd just done a protein analysis. The results had looked familiar. Now she knew why. She had done the same analysis yesterday and the day before, but she didn't remember doing either of them. She called up more logs, looking at her work. Some things she remembered doing, some she did not. Maybe it was the lack of sleep. She couldn't even manage 20 minutes of sleep before the mishmash animal of her dreams came for her. 
Dr. Rumkorf had brought her meds today, not Mr. Feely. Rumkorf said he had made an adjustment. It would take a little while for her body to acclimate. Three days, maybe four, to get back to normal, he had said. She'd start feeling a little better as early as tomorrow. And when she did feel better, could she please, please, please make sure she told Mr. Colding? She knew she wouldn't feel better. Dr. Rumkorf was lying. Everyone lied to her. But the numbers didn't lie. Maybe her failure caused the dreams, the spiders, the rats, the mishmash, the numbers. Movement on her left. She turned and took a step back all at the same time, then felt a dribble of pee trickle hot down her leg. An orange spider. Big as her whole head, staring at her. Jean's hand shot to the desktop, where she'd left her Dr. Pepper. She grabbed and threw all in one motion, the open bottle trailing brown and white froth as it shot toward the corner. The spider scrambled out of the way as the plastic bottle hit the floor and spun, spraying the area. So Kai! Jean screamed. So Kai! The spider was gone. Must have slipped into a crack or something, even though she couldn't see a crack. Damn spiders. The numbers. She had to fix the numbers. Fix the numbers so the ancestors would come out right. But ancestors for people parts? That was it. How could they expect to produce an animal with transplantable organs out of a cow? She could fix it. She could fix it all. Make the whole project work. They just needed a different kind of host. She put on gloves, then opened the liquid nitrogen container. She carefully pulled out sample trays and set them aside until she found the one she wanted. The one nobody else knew about. She put the other trays back inside, then carried her special sample to the elevator and descended to the empty lower deck. Some of the cows were asleep. The ones that were awake watched her. Sir Moosalot had an orange rat on his head. It didn't seem to notice that the rat was gnawing on a black and white ear, red blood spilling down the cow's big, flat cheek. The cow just stared at her, oblivious. Stupid cow. Jean quietly walked down the center aisle, trying to ignore several sets of cow eyes that followed her motion. She opened the storage cabinets in Mr. Feely's area. There, a sterile envelope that had what she needed. A catheter that looked like a thin turkey baster. Jean grabbed the catheter package. She placed it and the sample tray on the lab table. Embryo transfer in most in vitro procedures was done by a doctor and guided by ultrasound. Ultrasound would take an extra set of hands. Jean did not have an extra set of hands. Too bad the orange spiders couldn't help. They had lots of hands. She'd be on her back, but doing it herself would only take about five minutes. And besides, they were her eggs. She could do whatever she wanted with them. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. November 25th, a valid concern. Implantation plus 16 days. Klaus Ruhmkorff sat at the ultrasound station, waiting for Tim to finish running the transducer across Molly McButter's belly. Klaus had taken a liking to Molly, but that was simply because the cow showed above-average intelligence. And he liked the way she nuzzled against his chest when he scratched her ear, but only, of course, when no one else in the lab was looking. Jean, thank God, was looking better already. She'd even combed her hair. Two more days, three at the most, she'd be back to her normal, far less creative self. That was okay, though, because they were in the homestretch. No question anymore. The ancestors would live to term, and all data indicated they would walk on their own. That asshole colding, manhandling him like that. How dare he! And yet... Colding had been right, at least somewhat. If Jean killed herself, that didn't help the project. With the most significant problem behind them, Klaus could afford to be gracious and correct her meds. She still threw darting glances into the corners, but he estimated that behavior would vanish by the end of the day. The progress bar filled up. A gold-hued picture flared to life. Heilige Scheiße, he said, the words out of his mouth before he knew it. Baby McButter had come a long way from its start as a microscopic ball of undifferentiated cells. If Klaus hadn't known better, he would have estimated the creature up on the screen to be four or five months along, not two weeks. Jean stared at the picture. She shook her head as if to clear it, then stared at it again. There has to be a mistake, she said. That fetus is at least a hundred pounds. More, Tim said as he came out of Molly McButter's stall. Try 130. No, Jan said. Programs say ancestors should be no more than 40 pounds right now. Your program versus a scale, Tim said. I think the scale wins, Fruit Loops. Stop with the names, Klaus said, feeling odd about his instant defense of Jan. I don't care about Jan's bullshit program, Tim said. Look at the damn readouts. Well over a hundred pounds in two weeks? Nothing grows that fast. Not an elephant, not nothing. Klaus marveled at the life he'd created. The back legs looked much thicker than he'd theorized. The front legs looked strong as well, but were skinnier and longer than the back. That would suggest a creature that moved at somewhat of an angle, like a gorilla on all fours, as opposed to horizontally, like a running dog or a tiger. The skeletal structure also showed remarkable growth. The ribs looked very thick and extended from the head all the way down to the hips, growing against one another, almost like a kind of internal armor. Doc, Tim said, what are we going to do? We observe and document, Klaus said. We prepare for a C-section in a week, maybe less. That's not what I mean, dude. Based on the growth patterns thus far, in another week these bitches could hit 300 pounds. 
Roomkorf nodded. True, and adult weight could reach 400, maybe 500 pounds. You're right. The organs might be too large. We'll adjust the genome for the second generation, but right away we can use livers, maybe even kidneys. Tim's face wrinkled up as if he were looking at a very, very stupid person. What? Klaus said. Now what is your problem? I'm not talking about transplants and organs, you fucking nerd. Tim looked at John. You know what I'm talking about, Fruity Pebbles? Mr. Feely, Klaus said, I'm not going to tell you again. Predators, John said. Teeth, claws, maybe 300 pounds at birth, possibly twice that size within days. Where will we put them? What will we feed them? Klaus looked at her blankly then turned to stare at the workstation's gold-tinted screen. He used the trackball to turn the fetal image, looking at it from every possible angle. Teeth. Claws. Muscle. Aggression. Attacking the camera. Killing while still inside the womb. Perhaps, he said quietly, that is a valid concern. November 26th. Checkmate. Implantation, plus 17 days. Colding stared at the chessboard and contemplated his next move. He couldn't screw it up, because he was winning. He was actually beating Jeanne. No one in the project had ever beaten her. Okay, maybe her brain was still a bit addled from the med shorting, but Colding would take a victory over her any way he could get it. He had avoided Sarah as much as possible in the last two days. After, of course, he'd gone to her room and broken the cameras there. He didn't quite know how to tell her that Andy the asshole crossweight had a video of her, naked, making love. He explained his distance by telling Sarah that he had to focus on Jean, that he'd been slacking off more than a little on that part of his job. Sarah understood. And he wasn't lying, because he did focus on Jean monitoring her progress, making sure Roomkorf gave the proper dosage. That, and playing a lot of chess. Colding moved his queen's knight and smiled. Check. Jean stared blankly out the lounge's picture window. She seemed to have forgotten Colding was even there at all. She looked much better, though. Clearly, the proper dosage was working. Jean? She just sat there, her hands turning a bottle of Dr. Pepper over and over, until the color was a light brown, the normal dark caramel shade mixed with the white of bubbles seeking escape against the bottle's pressure. When she finally opened it, Colding thought, the thing would explode. Hey, kiddo, pay attention. You're in check. She glanced at the board, then went back to turning the Dr. Pepper bottle. Jean, talk to me. What's eating at you? She looked at him, her eyes once again focused. It is too big. I know, it's okay. Gary Detweiler's getting material for heavy cages. We'll have them up in a few days. Doc tells me that will keep the animals under control. She laughed. Dr. Rumkoff wants to see his name on the cover of Time magazine. He would risk all of us. Colding thought of the shorted meds. Jean was more right than she knew. He also thought of the cages and of a tiny, camera-biting fetus enlarged to 200 pounds. Or even bigger. 
Ruhmkorff had assured him that everything would be fine, but the man's statements were questionable at best. If Jean was worried, then Kolding was worried. Why are the fetuses so much bigger than you thought they would be? She looked down. The bottle turned faster. I... I made projections, but maybe I was not thinking clearly. Not thinking clearly. He thought about the timeline. She'd had her breakthrough, created the successful batch right when they left Baffin three weeks ago, two weeks after Roomcorp started shorting her meds. John, I need you to think. You said you coded for a herd animal. Docile, about 200 pounds adult weight. But it's not just the size of the ancestors, it's the aggressive behavior. Those, those teeth. She raised her head, looked him in the eyes. He couldn't quite read her expression. On her face he saw doubt, confusion. I thought I programmed for a herbivore, but it is predator. No shit, Sherlock. Herbivores didn't eat each other in the womb. If Janata had more time, more resources... Colding could just scrap this round of fetuses and have Jean start over. Magnus, however, wasn't going to let that happen. I want to leave, she said suddenly. I want to leave this place. Something bad is going to happen unless we stop it. We need to call someone. Colding's breath caught in his throat. He automatically looked at the camera in the upper corner. Gunther was in the security room. Did he see Colding and Jean in here? There was no sound but Colding had also thought there was no video capture in Sarah's room. Who knew what else he was wrong about? If Magnus found out John was talking about leaving, what would he do? John, don't say that again. Don't you even think about saying anything like that to anyone. You understand? But, Mr. Colding, I am afraid that I... I... Her voice trailed off. These half-sentences of yours are really annoying, John. Just tell me. She looked at the chess piece in her hand and said nothing. Jean, just tell me. What are you afraid of? Her eyes narrowed. Something was going on in that brilliant head of hers, but what? I did things I do not remember doing, she said. I think that... I will look at code again, see what I can find. She set down her rook in a new space that blocked his check. Colding smiled and started to move his knight into attack position when he saw that by moving her rook, she had put his king in check with her bishop. Checkmate in two moves, John said absently. Fuck, Colding said. The bottle spun even faster. Without another word, she stood and walked out of the office. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.